Parapods, City of Parramatta Libraries podcast. So this is a regular event. I'm Catherine. Uh, so I'm here today with Suzanne, my colleague, and our special guest is Rachel Giveney. Rachel, thanks so much for coming. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, look, let, me, let us tell you a little bit about our rationale behind inviting um, Rachel to come here today. So Library Lovers Day is coming up on the 14th, which is also Valentine's Day. Um, so the theme this year is Uncover Something New. And um, look, I think indeed Rachel has uncovered something new. Um, so Rachel's book is Jane in Love. Um, the publisher is Penguin Random House. And thank you so much to our friends at Penguin Random House for uh, making Rachel available. So look, Rachel... Um, this, uh, our podcast is a regular event, but this is a special event. Um, and we've got a few questions to ask you. And we understand that you're an experienced writer, but this particular novel is a debut novel. And the subject is very dear to the hearts of all librarians. We absolutely <laughs> love Jane Austen. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So we've got tons of things to ask you. Um, so, Suzanne, you had questions. I'm just wondering whether I should get mine in first. No, you, you go ahead. You get yours, yours in first. Just just a couple of questions, Rachel, because Suzanne, she's the brain. The, she's going to ask what the, the book really is deep in ones. A, want to tell what the book is in the... Um, about? Okay, so this book is a, tri, a time travel um, story. Um, and the themes, well, you know, we're rifting on the Jane Austen stories. And there is a bit of an industry around um, Jane Austen at the moment. As librarians, we know there are very many um, spin-offs. But I mean, what a very worthy um, topic Jane Austen is, because she always addressed universal truths. She's one of uh, the English language's great authors. So this is a, a, a fish out of water story, a time travel story. It's a story about... I suppose love versus maybe your calling. Um, and it's a tale about modern living too. There are uh, some very, very good observations yeah, about modern living in indeed. there. Indeed, lots of really interesting themes. Um, but Rachel, I just wanted to ask you, um, why Jane Austen? Why now? Um, and I know you read this book when you were just a 15-year-old. You're not much older now, I can see that. <laughs> but do tell. Yeah, so that's right. It, it is a it is a time travel novel. It is a it is a love story. Um, so it's about Jane Austen, and uh, she time travels to the present day, and she falls in love with a modern day man. Um, in in her real life, as I'm sure all of us know, uh, the real Jane Austen never married or had any children. Uh, it's you know it's this great irony that the queen of love stories um, herself died a spinster uh, so Jane in the novel she falls in love with this modern day man and she's so happy with him that she decides to stay in the present as soon as she decides to stay all of her books begin disappearing off the shelves so ultimately she has to decide whether she's going to stay in the present uh, with him and be happy or if she's going to return to her own time and become Jane Austen, the Jane Austen that we all know and love. Um, and 
like you said, I first read uh, a Jane Austen novel when I was 15. Um, I had no idea of the author. It was just something that I picked up to sort of read on the, on the train on the way home. And I read uh, Emma and I loved it. It was so witty and so clever and so timeless. Uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't one of those stuffy classics that you have to sort of trudge through. And I was so delighted that I picked it up and I loved uh, Mr Knightley. Uh, and I grew interested in the author. And so I looked up Jane Austen's biography and I was horrified to discover that uh, this woman uh, who'd written these beautiful love stories uh, never married or had any children. And I was considering... Um, a career as a writer myself at the time and uh, so I sort of grew curious and I looked up the biographies of other female authors who I admired you know the Bronte sisters uh, Louisa May Alcott Emily Dickinson Sylvia Plath uh, all of these women uh, to my horror either had disastrous romantic lives um, or none at all and so you mentioned that in the book yes yeah hard to have both hard hard to have both Mm. yeah and and so that that made me sort of wonder like does a an author namely a female one need to be unhappy or single in order to uh create art and if jane austen had to choose between the heart and her books what would she choose and that's how Jane in Love was born. Mm. Great story. Yeah, we, we really enjoyed it. Um, well, we're going to elaborate a bit, Rachel, anyhow, but um, just one observation I wanted to mention before Suzanne gets in. Um, I really loved your descriptions of the movie and the entertainment industry. And Thank I know you. that you are an insider because you're a script writer and your yes. work includes McLeod's Daughters and Offspring, you know, very well-loved um, you know, shows, TV shows. Um, so um, did you kind of just bring your insider knowledge to make that all seem very real and, and interesting? Those characters really, I've found them, you know, as interesting really as that parallel story, you know, with Sophia. Oh, great. Thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, so I'm a screenwriter um, by trade, uh, working in TV, in, in Aussie TV. And so in the novel... Um, the Jane, we start off in 1803 when Jane Austen is about 28 and she's living in Bath and um, she's not, she's unhappy, she doesn't like living there. Anyway, she accidentally time travels to the present day and the first uh, chapter of her in the present day, she walks onto the set of a rehearsal for a Jane Austen film for yeah, Northanger that Abbey. Would, that would be so oh, strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they're all in yeah. She in very nicely. Yeah, and she sort of, um, she sort of walks onto set, and they're all rehearsing a big uh, dance scene, and she thinks she's just walked into a country ball. And a woman walks up to her and says, "What are you doing out of line? You're supposed to be dancing." And, and she says, oh, she has no idea what's going on. She's sort of confused and kind of agrees to dance. And as she's doing the uh, dancing the steps, she doesn't know any of the steps. And the woman says to her, you know, you don't know any of these steps. What are you doing and why can't you dance the Grimstock? 
And she says, you know, excuse me, madam, that's no Grimstock I've ever seen. And it's sort of a joke <laughs> that when we yeah, yeah. when we watch movies today, yeah. they're they're made for modern day audiences, and a great effort has been made to um, make them as accurate as possible. But the the dance that these um, filmmakers have put on is nothing that the real woman who actually wrote the novel uh, would have actually danced in her life. Yeah, yeah. that was funny. <laughs> that was a nice touch. But yeah, I did like that story of Sophia and Jack, you know, and, you know, at the end what she gets from it. And I, and I, I just thought that was really cleverly done. So, thank Yo, you. thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, look, just my last one. Um, look, universal truths, morality, marriage, you know, education, women's place... They're all universal themes, and um, I just sort of wondered, is that something that's kind of quite dear to your heart as a, a, a you know, young career woman who's in the writing world? So you, do you identify strongly with that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, I think I don't want to speak for every woman, but I would say that every woman has has come up against this in her personal life where she tries to balance a career with her personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the emotional load of having a family, of having a relationship and um, how, that, how one can balance that with actually a career in, in anything really, whether it's pursuing a creative life or whether it's pursuing a, a great professional goal, that requires large stretches of of unimpeded time to think and to write or do whatever it is you want to do and and just to be yourself not not a mother or a partner or a carer um, and I, I think that's something that I've as I mentioned before it's something that was always on my mind when I was contemplating a career as a writer and it's something that I went through writing writing this novel it 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 required a lot of my time to finish it and to revise it and um, I don't know if I could have I could have done that if I if I had if I had children I'm married uh, but uh, and I have I have an excellent husband who's very supportive. Um, Dave. <laughs> Dave, that's him. <laughs> <laughs> Read the acknowledgements. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, excellent question. And um, well, I mean, what do you guys think? Has this been something that um, that you've had to come up with in your lives? Yeah, well, I think all women really have that um, those issues to deal with. And, yeah. But I'm happy to say that younger women now really, hopefully are getting more opportunities and you know that because there are very many yes. great women writers and you know um writers of tv scripts you know Shirley Burst I like her stuff oh yes um, there are yes numerous yes fantastic yeah. fantastic women out there doing wonderful things these days in the novel one of the things that um interested me most was what would Jane Austen make yeah. of um, how we treat women today yes. uh-huh. and she remarks in the novel at one point I'm sort of so surprised at how much things have changed and how much things have stayed the same yes. so a lot of attitudes have improved yes. but in certain respects 
they're as bad as they ever were. uh, Absolutely, the Me Too movement's testament to that, isn't it? Yes, Um, yes. And, and, you know, also that her very famous opening, you know, paragraph, you know, uh, I think it's something like... uh, a man in a woman I've forgotten the exact truth way. universally acknowledged <laughs> yes. a man in position of fortune must be in want of a wife yeah. yes but I was just sort of thinking and the reverse is also true that, and it means that in those times women didn't have the choice of a career no they couldn't inherit mm. no um, that's right and in fact they were in you know their fortune stymied. became their husbands yes, yes. Yeah. their children and became their husbands so mm-hmm. now things have improved but not necessarily everything. I agree with that because mm. even now it's it is still a struggle to have everything. Oh. Yes, it's, it's a fallacy to think otherwise. Yes, because you know modern life. I, I love the bit about um, Suzanne. You should ask your questions <laughs> before I hop the whole No, uh, I like the bit about where you said people have conjured so many devices to save time and to make life easier, yet everyone walked around faster and looking more anguished, <laughs> which I think is quite an accurate observation, especially during peak hour times uh, on public transport or on the roads. Uh, yes, and the and I really love the observation about um, when she... It would be very strange for, some, for a woman to come to this century and then observe everyone doing such different things, especially with our obsession. It is an obsession with mobile phones. Yes. And at first she thinks that the boxes are serving the people. However, then she changes her mind and says, humans do not enslave the boxes, but the reverse. Yes. Which I think in this day and age is actually quite accurate, especially with the younger generation. They're tied to their phones. What about you? Are you one of those? <laughs> no, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's well, a great to question. To some degree. <laughs> to some degree, yes. Yes, well, um, it's an excellent question. I mean, really, if you want to write a novel um you you can't they they are a distraction Mm. they are a distraction and because you need to be thinking completely about just what you're writing and you can't be distracted by looking up the news or watching something or checking social media um it's a great question and i and i i wondered how much i should put smartphones in there because no, that was a great I love you liked that. it okay I love that. I thought it was yeah sick. because it would be so strange if you were coming from that time to come to now and like what is this obsession with these small boxes that everybody seems to have yeah like it would be so strange yes so I think it was very accurate oh good okay. um, observation there that was that was great okay I'm glad that's a great trope actually yeah um, <laughs> But um, Suzanne, did you want to ask Rachel a few more oh, questions a before more. I jump back in? Um, yeah. Well, actually, on, on the other topic of, of modern life, and so you, you mentioned that every great writer had a great woman behind them. So in your case, do you have a great man behind you? <laughs> I do. Oh, uh, oh woman. Well, well, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which Just is uh, great. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, actually, I did really like your your reference at some point to um, yes. Jane Austen's... Uncle? Uncle. Uncle, yes. And his friend Matthew. I thought, you know, that's really good because yes. I reckon Jane Austen would have been, like... Open to it. Open and progressive yeah. and really cool person. That's yes. That's right. So what we know about, like, so biographical detail on Jane Austen is very scant. We know hardly anything about her, but you can glean little bits of information from what she wrote in her novels and from the letters that she wrote. And two things that we do know was that she was quite rebellious in her thinking. Um, She was a very compassionate person and she was anti-slavery. 
So um, in the novel, I, I put a little scene where she um, reminisces about an uncle that she had who was, he, she doesn't say it overtly, but he was probably gay. Yes. And she notes how um, he was ostracised by friends and family once his secret was revealed. And um, how she feels about this is she brings it to her own story, which is that Jane Austen never walked the line that was dictated to her. She was always a fish out of water. She never really fit in. And she admired uh, this man in the novel, obviously. This is fiction. But she admired this man for living the life that he wanted to live and having the courage to do so. And um, I think that's the type of person that that she was. Yeah, yeah I agree. Suzanne. So when you're saying that there's not much bi- biographical information on Jane, so some of the things that are in there that pique my interest, like her ability to remember space and shape and first words at eight months and read at two, are these something that you've actually researched or are actually true? And how uh, did you go about that? Yes, that uh, that is pure fiction. Uh-huh. That, I wondered um, how you would know that. I'm thinking, that's, surely that's artistic license, but they were great. They were great little yes. insights. So that's pure fiction, but, but from her letters and from the uh, biography that was written for her about 30 years after her death by her nephew, it seemed to me like she had a photographic memory. She seemed to recall everything about everyone um, when she, whenever she went to um, a big house or to visit family and friends, she knew everybody's name, and she chatted to everybody. The the cooks, the servants. She wasn't she wasn't a snob. She um, she loved talking to working class people. Um, she knew everyone's story. She knew how many children everybody had. She knew everybody's birthday. Um, so that to me said that she was probably um, had a photographic memory and also that she was very, very good at school, even though she didn't do much school. Uh, She was very good at maths and she was very good at languages. And so I sort of put two, two, two and two together and sort of said, you know, who knows, she may very well have spoken her first word eight months. Mm, Obviously a really intelligent person. Yes. This day, goodness knows what uh, you know career she could have had. Yeah, that's right. Oh. And she wrote all her books in complete isolation. Nobody mm. taught her how to write. Mm. She didn't communicate with any other writers. She just did it all on her, on her own on little pieces of paper in her in in the living room, mm. on a tiny table. Quite <laughs> <laughs> like extraordinary. Yes. Actually, I was going to ask you about the. Um, burning of her manuscript did that really happen and was it it called first impressions it was called first impressions it was called first impressions um her after she died her sister cassandra burnt almost all of her letters so i took that detail and sort of put it into an earlier part of the story so we could we could feel what that must have been like yeah but there were thousands apparently Rachel thousands yeah Yeah. but 150 remained something like that yes yeah I think I like Pride and Prejudice better than First Impressions I mean yeah if you had to pick a title what would you pick 
Yeah, well, I, I mean, f- first impressions, I guess, works yes. as well because that that yes. is what it is. Because yes. she, her first impression of Darcy is yes. that um, he's a bit of a wally, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which which he is, yes, he is. <laughs> at first, but yes. but he comes good in the end. In the end, it yeah. Does. yeah, yeah. Like all true heroes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Moving on, Suzanne. Um, okay. Let's have another one for Rachel. Oh, um, the description you had about uh, writing, I lo- this was really good and I had to write it down. It was like, it write, what she loves about writing is it takes a chair and gives it a soul. It tells the truth with a lie. It adds one's voice to the dream of the world. Oh, that beautiful. is Poetry. very, very lovely. Oh, and I especially you. love the bit about it tells the truth with a lie because even uh, we get parents coming into the library who say, I don't want my child reading fiction. It has to only be non-fiction. It's a complete waste of time. It's a complete waste of time. What are they <laughs> going to learn with that? But, but what they don't seem to understand is great fiction has universal truths in it. Yes. And that's the, that's the beauty of fiction. It, it's making it more relatable Yes. to everyone. So... Non-fiction, fiction, what do you think? Yeah, and the quality of writing, you know, when a genius like uh, Austen writes, you mm. know, it's, it's beautiful. But I also like that towards the end of the book when uh, Fred's reading Persuasion mm. and he's sort of struggling a bit on the train and I was thinking that is such a good thing to put in the book mm. for kids because I really think it, people who read this will yes. think, God, you know, I couldn't get through the first chapter of Persuasion but now I'm going to go back and give it another try, you know, based on, you know, how you describe so beautifully, you know, the, the language and, you know, the themes. So Once you get past the, great. the style of the language, yeah. then the story is yeah. universal. So as librarians, thank you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Yes, I mean, uh, telling telling the truth with a lie, I think mm-hmm. that we're talking before about universal truths of, of the human condition. I think that's that's what fiction can do. It's not real, but it's true because it says something true about how we live as humans. And um, Fred reading one of Jane Austen's novels, that's, Fred's one of the characters in the book, um, when he reads one of her novels, that's an experience that I had reading um, Jane Austen novels and other classics, oh. which I eventually, um, once you persevere with it and you sort of get to understand the format of it, the way Jane Austen writes, the joke is always at the end of the sentence, mm-hmm. so you sort of got to hang in there until yeah. the very end and then you go, ah, I see what she's yeah, doing it's now. Just, it's a slow burn. It's slow burn, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the best yeah. ones always are. Yeah. yeah. The, the, um, the payoff in the end is, um, worth is, is worth it. Yeah, that's right, yes. Yeah. But these days people seem to be so time poor, I think that... Back to the it, smartphones. Smart, well, and everything else, all the other <laughs> all distractions. All the distractions. And, and merging, you know, life with career and possibly children and family and pets and yeah. mothers and fathers. I think yeah. it can be a struggle. So, yes, that, that part was especially... Yeah. Maybe up. you could start like a slow reading movement or something, you know, <laughs> yeah. where you, as yeah, librarians yeah. you encourage people yeah. to yeah. persevere, take it slow. Take it slow. Yeah. 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 That's a nice idea. <laughs> Well, most charge. libraries have a little, like some sort of reading nook somewhere, so yeah. put but, some classics. In but the room. wonderful thing is that even though the demise of the book has been uh, predicted, excuse me, um, it's, it hasn't happened. It's I mean, not going the hard, to happen. The hard copy book. Yeah, what do you no. think? Because as librarians, 
Well, we see people love reading and they yes. and people buy books. Like we buy books. They've been saying for years that print is 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 going forever. It's all going to be e blah blah blah. It hasn't happened. Well, it hasn't happened. Yeah, statistically, Mo- I yes. think it's like a very small percentage, yes. like about four percent of our fiction learns. Yes. Yes. Even even, even teenagers who you would think they they're the first to grab all the technology yeah. that's out there. They're the first adapt adopters. They love anything new and snazzy. Come ask any librarian. They come to the library. We say, okay, do you want this book? Unfortunately, the print book's out, but you can read the ebook now. Yep. Oh no, I'm happy to wait. And these are a generation that do not want to wait for anything. Yet they're happy to read a book yeah. because. There's nothing like the feel no, there isn't. of a book. Good news for all e-books this. are handy. They're <laughs> wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but I think yeah. we still have the time and place for both. Oh, I think definitely. Yeah. I There's, think they complement yes. each other. Yes, no, I definitely. don't think they need to replace each other. Yeah, <laughs> I think all you need is to have that one magical experience where you have the physical book in yes. your hand, and you get a few chapters in, yes. and you realise. I have to keep reading. Yep. I have to know yes. what's going to happen in the end yes. of this. Yes. And once you've once you know what that feels like, yes. you will yes. read books forever. Yes. And notifications don't just pop up with a print book. If you're reading it on a tablet or something and you've got the notifications turned on, you're reading and then all of a sudden you get the little flashing light saying just come and come and distract me. Come and just and stop reading. No, that's true. Print, yeah. print you don't have that. So no, no, they may you don't. not be waterproof, but <laughs> There are other advantages. <laughs> True, we're champions. Not good as an umbrella. No, yeah. would not recommend that. Um, so, Suzanne, how are we going for time? We are doing very well. Oh, good. So, yes, I've, I haven't really got very many. Oh, one question that I was intriguing uh, towards the back of the book, I think it was in your acknowledgements at the end, yeah. um, you were thanking people. Mm-hmm. And one of the yes. persons you thanked was Carolyn Overington. Yes. Overington, sorry. Uh, who, has, who, best who, who has visited our library? Yes, she is has. She? Wonderful She's a wonderful woman. woman. Yes. yes. Great wonderful books. Writer. Yes. Who and juggles a yes. career with a gorgeous family. There you go. Yes. A lot of women do these days. Yes. yes. Uh, and best. it mentions that she gave you the best piece of advice. Are you? Can you share? <laughs> no, I cannot. Oh, I will blast. never tell. Blast. Can't divulge <laughs> what a shame. What a shame. Fair enough. <laughs> well, but I thought it was a long shot, but I thought, why not? Maybe one day. One Maybe day. One no, that's day. fine. Yeah. But actually, I, I was interested in your acknowledgements too because I was sort of really encouraged by the, you know, the quality of the writers, Graham Simsian, whom has been a guest at our library yes, and has. is absolutely... Uh, you know, great writer. We love the Rosie Project series. Yes. Graham, he's a great speaker he too. Is. Yes, he Graham's is. Graham's a wonderful man and he's a brilliant writer and he's so passionate about getting more men to read. Yes. And um, that's how I got him to read Jane in Love. Mm. I said to him, um, you, I love you your campaign. and No, I only know he's just a colleague, just a fellow writer. Uh-huh. And I said to him about, uh, you know, how passionate I admire his passion for getting more men to read, and um, if you could read Jane in Love, that would that would give men permission to read it. And he loved that idea and and read it and was very gave some very kind words about it. And um, oh, yeah, really one, wonderful yeah. wonderful man, wonderful writer. And Marcus Susak too. Yes, I noticed. Yeah, has sort of a mentor in a way. Yes, he's that's great because yes. you know you know men don't necessarily you don't associate men reading. Romance? Well, oh. this type of genre. genre. Yes. Why shouldn't they? Mm. 
Yeah, it's um, something I've always felt, you know. So if I'm on the tram or something and I'm reading Silence of the Lambs, nobody takes a second look at me. But if a man is on the tram and he's reading um, Pride and Prejudice, we think there's something wrong with him, Um, which is terrible because... I think in um, fiction that was stereotypical, we call it women's fiction, which might deal with um, more the domestic side of things, relationships, uh, romances, um, friendships. We think that's some way a man would be strange to read about those things. But how sad that to deny men the opportunity to read about things which are so important to our well-being and enjoyment of life. Exactly. And we need more diversity in in general reading and in fiction and in and in um, romance. So uh, Graham says it Rosie Project, that's sometimes spooked as a romantic comedy. Yep. Written yes. by a man. Yes. But it's it's it is. It has it is. those elements. But I think there's so much more yeah, look, call I mean, for diversity in romance especially. Yes. Because it's meant to be a reflection of everyday people. Yes. Not everyone is white. Not everyone is heterosexual. Not everyone has doesn't have special needs. So I think, do you think that romance writers or writers in general should be putting more of this kind of diversity in their, in their books? Oh, absolutely. And also, um, I, I don't know what, because this is more a question for you guys because so when you're sort of recommending it to, when you're recommending a book to a reader, you want to be able to, to categorise it yes. for them. genreify it. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> yes. in the categorising of yes. it, in calling it a romance yes. or in calling it a romantic comedy, yes. does that necessarily exclude parts of, of the audience who might have really enjoyed it yeah. if they felt, if they didn't feel like, oh, I can't read this because it's a romance yes. or it's a romantic yeah. comedy? What that do you guys is, think? That is something we struggle with mm. because if you don't yeah. put sometimes put a category against it or a genre, yeah. then the, or, or you want to kind of create a new genre, like a diverse romance, and then people going, what's that? That sounds very strange. I don't want to read that. Yeah. You Whereas if you so. possibly called a romantic comedy, then you may then have a broader appeal yeah so it's it's hard to weigh it up and sometimes yeah. if you don't if you just put general fiction and then there turns out to be quite a lot of romance in it or a lot of crime in it or something like that then they go why did you call that general fiction that's not general fiction yeah that's not what i would call general fiction because a lot of these times sometimes they're personal mm. the categories for books mm-hmm. one person may read a book and think it's this yep and then someone else might read it and think it's completely opposite yeah. totally so, it's, it is hard for us to well, there is classify that, certain yeah. books. Like this one but can be called Jane in Romance Writing. There is. And, and that is oh, yes. that it's a story with a couple of characters yeah. that you have um, a love element and you have a satisfying and happy outcome. Yes. I mean, that is actually the definition of yes. romantic right. fiction. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so some of them be can, be, can be quite quite well fitted into the current right. genres. However, Uplit, for example, that's a new category that's kind of yeah. coming up. What's it called? Uplit. Uplit. What's Uplit? Uh, I'll let Catherine, because she did a oh, podcast on that. Well, yeah, we should, actually we did. It's actually sort of, a, well, Uplit is uplifting literature. Ah. And it's, um, you know, sort of feel good, I guess, yep. used yep. to be the term. And uh, Eleanor Oliphant, is that oh, it's completely fine. is completely fine. Oh, I love is, that book. Isn't it a great book? Oh, that's wonderful. A, that's um, an example that's always quoted. 
Um, and there's sort of, you know, there's a whole plethora of other ones, other authors who sort of thought, oh, this might be good, <laughs> you know, jump on this wagon. But people but have been writing good. those for, for years, but they never really had a name. Yeah. So I think event, gradually society yeah. starts thinking, oh, okay, they all have kind of common themes, they're uplifting, let's just shorten it to uplift, because it's just easier. But I mean, I Jane, like Jane in Love could be... Yeah, I was just going to say, like, is yes. it uplift? Yeah. yeah. I would say it's uplift. Yeah. yeah. It's a combination yeah. of... And know, it's kind of a genres. little bit historical mm. fiction as well, when love, you get the insights yeah. into the history. I, I mm. love the historical component to mm. it. Oh, you know, the you. descriptions of Bath in the period that Jane lived. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, as well as, you know, the modern day. But, yeah, because I, I actually love, um, you know, historical movies and historical novels. Oh, me too. Yeah. So, anyway. The stories are great and the costumes are wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look, Rachel, we're um, just going on and we're out of time. So, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Yes, thank and, you. Thank uh, you for having Susan, me. Oh, it's, Suzanne and I really loved your book. Yes. Um, and uh, we'll Jane in Love, yeah. Rachel Givney. Uh, so, yeah, look, um, so listen to us people and buy this book and come to the library and borrow it as well. Of course. Yeah. So, Suzanne, uh, we'll say goodbye. Thank you, everybody, for your company. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Suzanne, if you can just uh, yep. tell people how to find us okay so thank you for listening thank you rachel again for coming out to chat about your book uh, so you can find all our podcasts on our power reads blog or, or on podbean and and the in the apple store just search for parapods okay thank you very much for listening material presented in this podcast is for general information only. Any opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the guest speaker who do not necessarily represent the views of City of Parramatta Council. City of Parramatta Council is not responsible for any injury, loss or damage which you may directly or indirectly suffer in connection with this podcast.